This evening's Dharma talk is titled, Refine the Perception. When I say refine, I mean narrow down, look closely, look way into, look at all the nuances and all of the apparent parts, pieces, and confetti that make up any perception. So look into the perception of the object, whether it's a sound, whether it is someone's face in front of you as you're looking at them, whether it's a room that you're walking into or the traffic that's going by as you're driving. Refine the perception, refine the apparent object. And while you're at it, refine your perception of the subject because both of those are happening. There's a perception of a subject, me, me and my ideas, my feelings, who I am, my identity, and everything else, the objective, so-called objective world. <clears throat> What's being uh, suggested is, uh, in, for myself, contemplating the, the teaching of the, what's called the yoga char teaching, or mind only. Vishnapti Matra is a fan, fancy, Sanskrit word for just this, perception only, just the perception, nothing extra, not your, not the perception and what you think about the perception, not the perceiver and what you think about the perceiver, just the perception. In other words, mind only or consciousness only or perception only. It looks like there's two things going on. I know that. Don't you think I knew that? <laughs> I only got one shrug of the shoulders. <laughs> so perception, what am I trying to say? I'll say it again. I'm trying to say refine the, the objects being, that's being perceived. I'll give you an example, real literal. Is anyone in here totally not visual at all other than Chazan? <laughs> <laughs> so everyone is very visual, unlike Chazan. <laughs> So what I'm saying is, of course, some people are extremely auditory, which he is. Some people are very visual, uh, which this person is, uh, who I can barely even uh, understand what's happening in the world of sound. I, I see it and I hear it, but I don't understand how that all works particularly, even though I use sound all the time. <clears throat> so I would say this would be an example for you. You're sitting in a chair in your library, you have a library? You have a bookshelf. Anyone here not have a bookshelf? If you don't have, I've got a couple you can have. <laughs> so sit back and look at the books. Pick out a green covered book. Look at that. And then without taking your eyes off from that, take in all the green back books in there without removing your eyes. Then go to a book cover that is, has a red jacket or red binding on it. Look at that. And at the same time, with peripheral vision, flash on not only everything that's read in the bookshelf, but everything is read in the room. This is refining the perception because the perception is just in terms of the six sense seals and their objects. It's just, it's very simple. What the mind does, the ego mind, it elaborates on it and it makes it either a personal possession or a personal desire or a personal uh, uh, irritation, all kinds of additions, all kinds of propaganda, propaganda around everything. So you can also do that with objects. You can look in a room and pick out one thing that has a, uh, that is rectangular and, and just your mind is perfectly willing to go there and flash on everything that is 
rectangle, everything that is a circle. <clears throat> this is a part of a teaching that I do have done on occasion called opening the eye mind, which has to do with looking at and appreciating visual uh, creations, visual art, paintings, drawings, and so on, sculpture. So <clears throat> in the same way, flash on the perceiver of that, that same bookshelf, flash on, you could even say it this way, who sees this? What, what is it that is seeing, witnessing this? And is there, a, is there a difference between the perception of something and that which is perceiving that something? There is an imputed or generated or created identity that happens here. This is called ego or self-centeredness, the ego mind. And it's in uh, Yogacara tradition, breaks it down into uh, several parts in the Klesha mind of the seventh consciousness, self-love, self-involvement, uh, 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 um, self-pride, uh, uh, self-delusion, lots of Sanskrit words that I'm translating there, trying to. It's just different ways that we think that we're somebody, we're important, and we should be advanced, we shouldn't be uh, insulted or disrespected, and so on. So literally, I mean, it's not exactly literally, but this is a liter literal way of saying it. When you see what is fundamentally true through your own perception, it can, it can happen in sound, it can happen in seeing, it can happen with your feelings. Uh, it seems to show up most uh, clearly, I would say, in visual, because everything, all the other sense fields, including the mind, are very, very intimate and personal. You know, you can't particularly tell what I'm thinking. You might be able to get a rough idea by my facial expression, but you can't really see what I'm thinking. You can't really, in our own mind, we can't really, uh, you know, the sense of smell, the sense of taste, the sense of touch, the sense of hearing are all very close to us, they're very intimate. Whereas the sense of seeing is everything, all the things that we're seeing are at a distance. They're separated from us. So this is the... Of all the sense fields, this is the one that tends to make everything look like it's out there and over there. So that's what, I'll, uh, what I will address first. When we see what is out there, that, for instance, that camera, that video camera, looking at the video camera and then, then turning the witnessing around to see the identity of, uh, of him or who or they is actually witnessing that, uh, you'll find that there can't be... Uh, that there's really no space between those two. It looks like there is. There's something that is imputed there that keeps everything separate. Uh, one way of saying it is when you see what is true in the perception only, you, the actual identity of the, the subject and the identity of the object collapse into the perception. So you could say it's somewhere between here and there. You can actually live your life that way. And if you do, the world changes quite a bit. When you say there isn't space, are you talking about a, um, something other than physical space? Yes, it's, there's physical space, but when I'm talking about the, the there's no distance between the, per, the perceiver and that which is perceived. It just looks like there is. It looks like there are two different things. But this two different things is what leads to all the warfare in the world, from domestic violence right up to international wars. The idea that there is a, a this and a that, a right and a wrong, a correct and incorrect. Of course, there is pleasure and there is pain, but they're not that separate from each other. 
as I've said many times, I'll say it again, because I think it's worth saying over and over again. The same nerve endings that receive the a feather going over your palm and a sharp nail going over your palm, those nerve endings are the same ones. One of them is fairly pleasant, the other one is very distressing and painful. That's happening in all these sense fields. Refine your perceptions. Only you know how to do that. I, I can The way I'm doing that and the way I've been doing it for decades, way before any of you got here, actually. I don't see any retirees in the room. I'm saying make it, make it personal. Receive it. Receive. As I've said, I was saying yesterday in Kamazoo, be, be generous. Give. What are you supposed to give? You know, you can give help. You can give all kinds of things, uh, assistance, uh, give money to, to people to help them. But the, the most valuable thing you could give anyone is your attention. Give everyone your attention. Give your children your attention. That doesn't mean correct them. This is what it's like when you correct children. Don't correct them. Don't correct anyone. And for crying out loud, stop giving advice to people based on your own craziness. What am I saying? I'm saying that if you give advice to anyone before you've really understood who you are and what this world is, it will be based on misunderstanding about things. It'll be advice based something you've been taught or something you're some kind of opinion or idea. <clears throat> stop. Just stop doing that. See if you can go three days without making any suggestions to anyone, even if they ask you. So what do you think, Mary? I don't really know. What do you think, Jim? I don't know. I don't, I don't know what you should do or what, what that's about. You could actually say that, even though you have some ideas, uh, put them on the shelf. If it comes right down to it and you absolutely can't keep your mouth shut, they'll still be there. You could say, I can't help it anymore. You need to get a divorce. And they'll say, well, I wasn't even talking about her or him. Oh, oh well. <laughs> so, and what, what's happening there is we, the, the perception has not been refined. You really don't, don't speculate on anything. Please, stop now. Don't speculate. It's better to say, I don't know. I don't have a clue. I don't, I don't understand. Rather than risk your meddling with something that is already distressed, already going in circles, I would say, mind your own business. This doesn't mean that you might not have some ideas that would be fundamentally helpful to, to someone, but if you're there and they're, they're there, then, then if you're endeavoring to just refine your perceptions and see clearly who's in front of you, what's in front of you, and what's going on with them, uh, you might not be able to help it. You might, have to, you might come and say, you know, you, I, think, I think you really need to quit that job. I think that's really an unhealthy place for you to be. But this should be based on really, really clear perceptions about who you're talking to, what's happening in their life. Have they given you permission to even open your mouth? Kilgado. Does uh, refining the perception lead to this collapsing of the perceiver and perceived? It can. It's just, uh, I don't think I've talked uh, about this topic in this way, but I'm, I'm thinking about it, reflecting on it all the time. I, I understand something about this, and it's not particularly profound. It's not, uh, what do they say? What's the thing? Rocket science, that's right. It's not nuclear physics. It's just this. And if you spend most of your life trying to see what this is, and what this is, what this is, and what this is, who this is, and who this is, eventually, especially with a teaching like the uh, Buddha Dharma, or the teaching of awakened truth, there's a good chance you're going to see it. Might take a while, 
And when you see it, you will be astonished how completely flat out ordinary it is. All wars come to an end. All wars in your mind, there's no more, no more uh, skirmishes uh, in your gut like this. This is gone. And you didn't get rid of it because there, what? There isn't any you. There is no, the, there is no perceiver. There's just a perception. If you think there's a perceiver, then you'll worry about this. You'll worry about death. You'll worry about sickness. Uh, you'll worry about uh, all kinds of threats. You'll get paranoid. Questions? If you're not clear about this, yes, please. Um, Junshu. What does an unrefined perception look like? Like this. You know, you see it, but you're so busy thinking about what you see. Like if I look at Chazan, I say, well, he doesn't know much. I mean, you may be accurate. <laughs> I get to pick on him because he's going to India pretty quick and he's not offered to take any of us with him. Well, I guess you get. To, I guess you get to go. He's taking his wife. So I guess. she's taking me. Huh? But she's taking you. That's right. You're you're broke. <laughs> he's got he's got a job that doesn't pay anything. He's, he's the Eno here, so he takes care of this place. Thank you. Can you give an example of perception? It's, it's difficult to do because I would have to concoct something. But let's say that if you, if you see something and you, and you, can, uh, you can see it so clearly that you're not adding anything to it, you're not, you don't, uh, to the point where you're not even sure what its name is. The example I was giving is the bookshelf. If you go into some of the particles of reality, physical, uh, visual area is like color. Color is a very simple thing. It's natural. It's everywhere. Texture, rough, smooth, slippery, whatever you want to say. It's a universal kind of thing about objects. So let's just go into color and say if you're looking at uh, the books that are green, at the, at the, the, it's not even a, a bit of time, but it's like that. It's just the time when you're just registering green, there isn't anything but green. There's not a person seeing the color green. And if you really look at green, the color green, which I highly recommend you do for a couple of years, you don't have to do it your whole life, just a few years. Look at the color green from now on and do it in such a way that you don't know what it is. It'll, for, a while, it'll be, for a while, it'll be this shade of green, that shade of green. It's a green leaf. It's 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 it's, it's. <clears throat> And you don't have to do that uh, with that color, but something that is very simple like that so that the, the naming of it, the calling of it, the describing of it starts to slide away. That's why we look at the wall. That's why we hold very still and just look at the wall. Eventually, uh, those of you who have done this practice for a while, the wall vanishes. It's not, we're not trying to have this wonderful, enlightening, uh, fluffed up experience as a meditator where everything is uh, rainbows and what's uh, one of those things with unicorns. Yeah. We're not trying to do that. <clears throat> well, you might be. And if you are, then I would say, well, go ahead, see how that goes. So you can actually meditate such a way that you'll feel better. I'm not saying that isn't possible. It is possible. But that kind of meditation doesn't last. It goes away. And you can't, you can only bring it back by more of that kind of meditation. And then that kind of meditation, meditation will not serve you well when your whole world turns to what? Manure? When, when you're, you lose your job, when your relationship collapses? And someone really close to you passes uh, uh, into the wild blue yonder. It won't serve you well. Well, the only thing that's going to serve you well for the rest of your life is find out who you are. 
find out that you are not a solid being. Your, your, your identity is breaking down into parts all the time and it gets back together just so you can have a voice. But, it's, but the space between words, the identity again collapses into nothing. It's called discontinuous identity. It just serves the moment. It just works in the moment. <clears throat> Shane from out in California has a question. He asks, should one endeavor to lead with perception in the same way as we lead with awareness? Yes, same thing. Shell? Isn't awareness completely different than your perception? I don't know. What do you think? You kind of already told me. So awareness is, uh, you could say, to some extent, when you're perceiving something, there's kind of an object happening, some kind of perception of something. But awareness doesn't really particularly have an object until something shows up there. So if you're if you're working on being aware, then whatever comes uh, comes towards you is fine, but you don't go out towards things so much to perceive them, or you don't go out towards them to be more aware of them. You just receive, give everything your attention. So perception is a way of talking about awareness, I guess that is perhaps maybe more focused, but not necessarily. There can be perception of not much going on, which is a, an addition to not much going on. The comment, not much going on, is extra. You can actually see that without knowing what it is, without describing it, and without elaboration. The elaborations are what generate the self-centeredness and fuel the ego mind, which thinks uh, there's someone to be protected, somebody to be advanced, and somebody who can be disrespected, etc. You notice I didn't pronounce that etc. I said, et cetera. <laughs> Not correcting anyone. <laughs> yeah, I have to. <clears throat> Further questions? When we're David. attached to something, what does refining the perception look like? So if you're working with that as something that you're attached to, you're maybe you're you're having in a situation in your life where you're where there's jealousy coming up around something somebody else is doing, somebody else is getting credit for something you're doing at work or something, which some kind of you know just irritation about that or any number of, of emotions or feelings, go into the feeling. If you if the way to abandon the feeling is to start to describe the feeling, the way to abandon the feeling and strengthen the ego is to blame yourself for how you feel. Oh, I shouldn't feel that way. Or blame others. Well, I wouldn't feel that way if they hadn't done this or this or this. This is the elaboration that puts, that's just like jumping on a, a, a merry-go-round and going around and around and around. The only way to walk a straight line is don't add. Don't do any math at all. And in that way, you'll still do some math, but it'll be a lot less. You'll get a is just uh, refining your perception the same as just receiving? Somewhat. How does that lead to the collapse of the... Because, because uh, eventually you'll see probably in the object or whatever you're looking at, you will start to see the perceiver in the object. You'll see the imputed me in what you're looking at. Everywhere you look, you'll start to see yourself in other in others. And it's not it's not seeing yourself like uh, you're, uh, there's some kind of magical feeling where we're one with everything. That's horse manure. Any children in the room? Yes. Yeah, horse stuff. <clears throat> More? What does it look like? What does what look like? Seeing uh, 
when that collapse happens and you see yourself and everything, how does it look? I tell you, it, it looks it looks not separate. You can't see any. You see things that are separated. The example I'm always using is my hand because it's such a simple uh, metaphor. We have separated fingers which need to be separated. The thumb is not jealous at all of the first finger. They work together, but they're 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 not alike. They're, they're the same because they're fingers, but they're different. So that's how everything looks. It starts to look like uh, everything is different, yet it's the same. So there's a there's a, a, an understanding that, that transcends the separation and how that's experienced in your life is you want to communicate, you want to cooperate, you want to collaborate with everyone, including someone that may have been your enemy or someone with a, that gave you a great amount of difficulty at some time. And that co cooperation, communication, cooperation, collaboration might take uh, the form of just staying away from them because they're not ready. They're not ready to... Uh, to communicate. So leave them alone. Mind your own business. Just relate to people who are open to that. No propaganda whatsoever. Do not try to convert people to your way of thinking. If you have a way of thinking, it's probably shot full of holes. Sometimes called lies. Robert. Within perception be an association with your what you're seeing without you in it within that collapse take place and you no longer see the perception that you're looking at or your reflection. So the seeing your reflection, it's not exactly a reflection. It's kind of like that, but it's not exactly that. If you start to look for reflections, then you'll tend to project onto things. So don't, don't really look for anything other than whatever you're seeing, receive, whatever, give it your attention, give it so much attention that you begin to see all the nuances about that. If it's an emotion coming up, like jealousy, I was using a moment ago, look at that feeling, look at the texture of that feeling rather than trying to get rid of it. Oh, I can't stand that feeling, I shouldn't feel that way. Well, I wouldn't feel that way if he hadn't, she hadn't, they hadn't. <clears throat> or else the other one is the hardest one to see is it just gets too intense and we just distract ourselves. So I'm just not gonna think about that anymore. I'm going to, I'm gonna move to um, Grand Rapids. Get away from that. Probably wouldn't get away from much in Grand Rapids. Better off to move to Soresco. <laughs> cold water. Kind of cold water would be good. So you would you would engage with it in the sense of receiving whatever that is, but but watch it when you start to move into blame or you start to move into blaming someone else or a situation. No descriptions, no soap opera about anything. There's enough soap opera without you generating any. I mean there's Tons of it showing up all over. The emotions and feelings uh, need to be seen to be unreal, intense, and maybe even painful, but unreal. They're not real. You know, it's like the one I uh, often say, watching a, a horror movie, you know, it could be where there's zombies or something like that. It's Especially if it's really done pretty well, it can be really scary. I and mean, you can actually be afraid of, what, nothing, because it's a movie. It's a movie. So... Notice when you watch something like that, how you get hooked into, even though it's unreal, that's why we call it entertainment, because it's real, but it's unreal. Eventually, everything is entertaining. I've often said, and I'm saying again, I'm never bored. Boredom is someone who's looking for something else. If you're always looking for what's in front of you, how could you possibly be bored? Because 
whatever is in front of you is completely vast and limitless. That's my sales pitch. Where's the popcorn? Further questions? Dallas. Can you just repeat that last part? Nope. Okay. <laughs> Not because I don't want to. I don't remember what I said. Okay. Go get up. Is there a... Um... Is there an intimacy then with this? Is there with this receiving? And <clears throat> oh, completely, completely intimate. It's even sometimes can be frightening to others because you're they sense that you're very, very intimate with them. I mean, you're not moving into their territory. I don't mean that, but sometimes people sometimes don't want that. They don't want you to get that close. So yes, it's very intimate. Good question. We have quite a bit of time here, so. Yes. Um, you said a minute ago um, that we can have emotions that are very intense, but they're not real. Yes. So could you further talk about what the unreal quality is of emotions? Well, when we're having them, they're <laughs> it's pretty convincing. When we're afraid of something or uh, even even like a horror movie, I know, happen to know, since you're my wife, that you can't stay in the same room with a horror movie. I mean, I have difficulty, but I know it's a movie, so I can kind of watch zombies come in and do that kind of scary stuff, but Uno can't do that. She just says, it's that's not entertainment. <laughs> so it's, uh, can you refine your question? Well, it, Speaking of refining. It, when I'm having an intense emotion, it feels like it's happening right here. Yes. And are you saying that that is not the case? What's well, not the case? No, that it's emotion is not happening. Well, it is. To this it, it's but that's all that's happening is the emotion. But what the ego mind does is add things onto it. Why it's happening? It puts other layers on top of the emotion to keep you from feeling that way and to actually kind of, you know, you know when you've when you've been kind of uh, disrespected by somebody and first there's that feeling, kind of a hurt feeling, and then we start to think about it, and rather than just seeing what's happening and seeing it's just things occur. Sometimes there's misunderstandings. Sometimes we see the person who's been mean to us or disrespected us or something. It's because they're suffering. It's not because they deliberately want to hurt you. Well, they might, but if they were going that far, it's still because they're so confused. They're trying to get out of their own difficulty and they don't, they can't do it. So they look over and they see something they can blame you for. They can, and then when someone does that, rather than with our awareness, because we've been looking at our own minds for uh, years, we're able to see if we do that, we're able to see that that's why they're doing it because they're suffering. So you might not be able to do anything. You might not be able to change them, but you can at least not go to war with them. And you can turn away from them in such a way that doesn't look like disrespect. That doesn't create more warfare. You can, uh, you, you know, you could say that it depends on the situations. You can't, this won't always work, but you could say, uh, you know, I'm sorry, you're having a hard time and then leave. So that doesn't add on to it because the person, the other person, if they're really distressed and are blaming you, will anything you do, they're going to interpret as warfare. If you leave, they're going to interpret that as disrespecting them. If you stay around, they'll interpret that as challenging them. And if you just change the subject, they'll look at that as being disrespectful of what they're trying to accuse you of. You know, you've all been there in some version of that. It's like, what is it saying? You can't win. You can't win with this person. So what I, my recommendation, my advice, and you know, I can give you advice for the next 15 minutes. That's what you guys got in here for, for me to tell you stuff. I would say, uh, don't add, don't, don't try to win. Trying to win is, is, a, is a very sneaky form of ego, of self-centeredness. 
And it's not about getting rid of self-centeredness. It is about seeing that it is unreal, that everything you see is not separate from the, from the witnessing quality of our consciousness. If you see that, I'm not saying your karma comes to an end and you no longer have migraines. I'm saying that, but things take on a different uh, kind of uh, picture. <coughs> your question? When, um, negativity evolves into stories and hurt feelings. Yep. Is there a way to refine that or simplify it? That's, I would say, find out. And your, your feelings, uh, Uno's feelings, my feelings, uh, Magpie's feelings, <laughs> Sarah, and Magpie. Are, are, are the same because they're all emotions and they're feelings, but they're different in that they have their own sources, their own causes and conditions. They're very uh, definite particularity about why they arose in a certain way. You have 10 people and everyone uh, has a, a difficulty with jealousy, but it has a completely different way in which that, uh, uh, that shows up for them. There's so much difference. At the same time, we're all human. We're so much different from each other. Yes. Um. Is there a way to return to the original negativity? Uh, there could be a way of returning to it. I would say it may be more workable, just don't leave it. When the negativity arrives, the first, as uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, my, my uh, Tibetan meditation teacher, would say, first thought, best thought. He didn't even mean thought particularly. He'd just say, your first idea about something is probably pretty accurate. He's not talking about impulsive. He's saying, whatever shows up, that's probably, if you're going to, do any speculating at all? Probably that first one has a has a has a lot of uh, weight to it, because it's it's closer to your just your basic uh, intuition about things. So uh, the practice would be to stay with whatever is happening, and so by practicing, um, I've used an image before. Don't try to learn how to ski in a snowstorm. Try to wait till the weather's pretty good, and you have a you have an instructor, and you have a situation where you can learn learn then rather than trying to. Uh, learn when uh, there's heavy snow and you don't know what you're doing and you're out in the wilderness somewhere. Same way with the um, with meditation. Don't try to learn to meditate when you're right in the middle of some really difficult emotional thing. Uh, it'd be better to just work with that in a more direct way and do the practice of meditation when things have calmed down a bit where you can actually begin to train the mind rather than try to get out of your situation by meditating. Meditation is not an exit. Meditation, if it's done uh, clearly and uh, accurately, according to these teachings, it is not an escape from anything. It is a way of actually facing things head on, perception only. Yes. If you have already left the initial negativity or the initial thought. You're screwed. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Did I jump to the conclusions about your question? Is there some other way you wanted to... Ask it. Do you have a sense of humor about what I said? <laughs> yes. So the way I'm addressing uh, Chazan's question, he already knows what I'm about to say. By the time that happens, when I say you're screwed, it's already happening. You already have momentum. It's already negative. It's you know, it's like the the tiger's out of the cage. So you might as well, rather than try to train your mind at that point, just be aware of the tiger. Just be aware of the difficulty. Be aware that the cage is open and don't go to war with anything. I mean, uh, I, I don't know if you can understand it when I say it in this way. Uh, and if you don't, you should ask questions about it because it's not, uh, a, it's not a, uh, um, <clears throat> um, necessarily a negative thing what I'm about to say. Let the tiger eat you. 
Don't don't fight with don't don't go to war with war. If it's war in the form of a, a huge striped jungle cat, I mean, if you can get away, sure. But if you can't, you might as well be there with that situation. It's a very important thing to understand. I don't know how else to say it than that that way. So, how does the sitting practice of meditation help us with these intense emotions that arise? A sitting practice of meditation uh, is training your mind. If it's done in this way, shikantaza, sit down, hold still, watch what moves. What's moving is, the, is showing you the way in which your mind keeps cranking things up, cranking things up. I like it. I don't like it. It's good. It's bad. If I can just do this, this will happen. If I can get that, if I keep this from happening, if I can promote this and stop that. A constant chatter in our minds about every damn thing. Not wrong. And I'm saying don't necessarily stop that, but... Keep your eyes on it. Keep your senses. Keep, continue to receive that information and watch what moves without adding anything to it so that it will clarify itself. The mind, the consciousness belongs to no one. There is no identity anywhere. Sure looks like it, doesn't it? Doesn't it look like there's somebody that can win or lose? So to respond more thoroughly to your question, the way in which it helps you with that is you're training yourself to just see without meddling, just see without adding, just see, just witness, just be here. Over and over, you come in, you sit down, take up this symmetrical situation. You can't find the mind, or if we could find the mind, we would, we would try to make it symmetrical so it was balanced. We can't find it. It's usually way out of balance. But what can you find? You can find your body. Body and mind are not separate. Separated because of hope and fear, because of struggle, because of how you were treated when you were four years old, because how you, because of what happened three lifetimes ago. I mean, the past is infinite. The future is infinite. Uh, I can even say what happened three lifetimes from now. And I'm not just saying this to be fancy. Time is an illusion. It's illusory. We grasp on the past and future to try to secure ourselves and try to uh, have some kind of uh, pro uh, progress. It's called spiritual materialism. So we can't find the mind, but we can find the body. So what do we do? 2,500 years ago, that's what the Buddha did. He sat down and looked at his mind. It's that simple. There's the whole teaching in a piece of wood carving. Nothing to believe here. I don't believe in this. This is a piece of wood. Buddhism, I don't believe in Buddhism. I don't disbelieve in Buddhism. I practice Buddhism. It's like you don't have to believe in eating to cook. Am I off on that? <laughs> you cookers in the house. Yes. So is uh, then the sitting practice of meditation a way to refine our perceptions? Yes. It's what you're doing when you're sitting. You're there's as little as possible. You're watching what moves. And you're watching what comes into your consciousness and what passes away. And that's the very nature of thoughts is they rise and they collapse. And they rise and they collapse. Especially they go away if you do nothing with them. But if you meddle with them, if you try to stop them, then they stay. But if you try to explain them or fluff them up or explain why they're there, then they hang around some more to argue with you or agree with you, which is the same thing. Passion, aggression, yes. So then off the cushion, um, <clears throat> is, is there a way that we can hang on to that refining of our perception? Or... or mm -hmm. um, the way I would say it is, you know, stay in your senses. When you find yourself walking down a hallway and thinking intensely about something somebody said, or uh, walking from your living room to your uh, uh, out onto your porch or in your house, and you're thinking about what something that just happened, stay in your senses. No matter how 
threatening or how confirming that situation may be. Don't neglect gravity. Gravity is is an incredible force that is pulling everybody's feet towards the center of the earth, completely ignored most of the time. Don't forget it. It's a it's an astonishing thing that there's a big ball of dirt in the middle of nowhere, with living beings all over it, billions of them, more than that if you count all the all the living beings, and it's it's floating around in the middle of nowhere around a huge ball of fire, also in the middle of nowhere. You want to get be pragmatic? Well, let's be pragmatic in a re as big a way as possible. There's big chunks of stuff, not just your Mercedes-Benz. Do you have a Mercedes-Benz, anyone? You do? Oh, you want one? Yeah, me too. If you find two, remember me. <laughs> yes? A question from Anna Maria out in Brooklyn. Anna Maria. She asks, uh, actually it's two questions. When in the thick of intense emotions, how do you know when you're using meditation to exit or distract or to investigate deeper? And then our next question is, do we need to know? You may not know as some kind of evidence or some kind of uh, thought pattern about it, but the most important thing is just to continue to practice. Practice awareness, practice, practice sitting meditation. I'm specifically talking to, I'm talking to everyone, but I'm talking specifically to Anna Maria. Just sit a lot. So she's not inside of there. Why are you pointing at that? That's that apple. Huh? There's an apple. She's frightening me a little bit. There's an apple? <laughs> oh, the computer. <laughs> yeah, I have difficulty with names. Practice, Anna Maria. Sit still, hold still, and receive. Give everything your attention. The, the, whatever is arising is just arising in consciousness, just arising in space. Space is just the nature of your mind. Your, your mind actually is just like a big blue sky, except it's not blue. It's just like a big open space. That's your mind. And then we fill it up with all kinds of thoughts and we should, we shouldn't, they should, that shouldn't. We argue about things and we, we yell at the television. At least I do. What the hell are they talking about? <laughs> and we're not saying stop that. You don't have to stop your particular behavior about things. Just be aware of it. Awareness is uh, king. Awareness is queen. Awareness is, what's the other one? Awareness is uh, transsexual. Does that work? Somebody will scold me if it doesn't. It's so awareness, 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 please. Awareness. Not to, you're not, there's nothing to believe here. There's nothing to disbelieve. And don't believe your thought patterns since we're on the, I'm in the uh, two minutes to nine and I want to give you the, my final advice. <laughs> don't do it. Don't believe anything. Don't disbelieve anything. And don't look away from anything. Those are the three. Whatever rises in front of you is exactly what you need to see. Whatever happens in your life is exactly what needs to happen. I'm not saying that if you are, you know, beat up in a, and robbed in a the parking lot of a party store or something like that, that that's okay. I'm saying that what's coming your way needs to be a Dharma gate for you, it needs to be part of your life. Please don't reject it. Don't miss your life. Even the really difficult, rough and raw edges of your life, the things that are really, really painful, please don't. That you You don't do it. Be with everything. Train your mind so that you can more completely receive, give your attention to everything that's happening. This only lasts so long, you know. You don't know how you got here. You don't know if you could do it again or if you'd even want to do it again. But here we are. Let's, uh, let's understand, learn as much as we can about this situation for ourselves. One last question, if you have it. 
Very good, thank you. I'd like to remind everybody we do have donation boxes out in the hallway. We gladly accept your financial help, also through PayPal, checks in the mail, cash, debit card, credit card, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, loaves of bread.